0: I hate coming in the middle of conversations. I don't know what you're like, but I have learned over the years that it's wise to wait and see what they're talking about before you try and understand too much. Because sometimes if you come in the middle of a conversation, you kind of appreciate immediately what it is if you're particularly arrogant, like I think I probably was a lot more in my youth, and you jump right in with your opinion and then you find that they're not actually talking at all about what you thought they were and you look like an absolute and complete doofus. So the trick is to take a step back and make sure that you actually understand what's been going on. Now we're only going to look at five verses tonight. And one of the problems when you look at just five verses or four verses or three verses one verse is that you often come in halfway through a conversation and you try and interpret what's going on and it's really tough to do that unless you take a little bit of a step back and have a look at everything else. And the other thing that's hard when you come in is that sometimes you enter into a conversation and people already have a history. They may have been talking about something for half an hour or an hour. And you come in and you think you've got something really intelligent to say and they both look at you as if, yeah, well, we talked about that 20 minutes ago. And so what you really do is kind of get some sort of idea of what's going on. And particularly as we come to this part of Hebrews, we need to just take a little bit slower and take a look at what's going on. For those of you who haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we just have to have a quick recap on chapter 1 and a little bit of a recap on the start of chapter 2. In chapter 1, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to a group of people and saying, you know, in the past God talked to us through prophets and he talked to us through angels, but now he's talked to us in Jesus. He doesn't actually use the word Jesus, he says he's talked to us in the Son. And therefore whatever the son has to say has got to be better than what came with the angels and with the prophets. It's superior, it's longer lasting, it has greater effect. And then last week we looked at the fact in those first four verses what the writer of the Hebrew says to people. If what this guy says, this son says is better than what came beforehand and we know that what came beforehand got punished then what he says you better listen to because whatever happened to those who ignored that statement from god can you imagine what's going to happen if you ignore this statement from god which is in the sun and we we learned last week that what the writer of the hebrew says is if what the sun says is really important then keep your eyes focused on it and it's not enough to just believe it it's not enough to hold on to say yeah I like that you've got to stay focused because if you don't you'll drift You'll move away from having that as your centre and you will move off course and you could become shipwrecked. And he uses a particular phrase there and he says, let's not ignore our great salvation, if you like. What's going to happen if we ignore such a great salvation as this that we have in the sun? The baptism night is really great because it's this great salvation that he's just been talking about. And then we have the passage from 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 that we read tonight. And he starts off in verse 5, which we didn't read. He says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Now, I left that verse out alone to have you have a bit of a think about it. Because that kind of by itself sounds a little bit weird because we actually haven't really talked so much about the world to come. So obviously whatever he's talking about in his mind has something to do with the world to come. And at the beginning of the first verse, verse 4, so whatever he said before has importance for us because it has something to do with the world to come. And so we have to remember back to what he said. The world to come has to relate back to what he said in 1 to 4, which has about, I think, this great salvation that we have. But it also goes back to the end of chapter 1. This is why you have to remember the whole context. And at the end of chapter 1, he says this, in verse 14, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So I think about it and I say, okay, verse 5 says, it's not the angels... It's not the angels he subjected the world to come and that's what we're talking about. And then back in verse 14 of chapter 1 he says this angel served the inheritors of salvation and a little bit in between he says don't ignore this message because you don't want to ignore this great salvation. And it seems sensible to me that what he's talking about is that the world to come is a big part of this great salvation to which we are going to inherit. Now, I know that many of us, we live in this world, and this is the concrete world in which we live in. And it's the focus of all of our attention. And in many ways, the gospel at times can become focused in, in what happens here and now. So that a lot of people talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ as helping you through your problems or giving you strength to carry on or guidance for this life. But the writer of the Hebrews here is saying something a lot stronger than when It came out in the testimonies. He's saying that the great salvation that we have, that you're not to ignore, because it has great consequences, has something to do with the world to come, whatever that world to come is. And then he says, it's not the angels who inherit the world to come, if that's not the truth and we are the ones who are inheritors of this great salvation and heirs of it, it seems to make sense that we are the ones who inherit the world to come. And not only that, it's not the angels has subjected or put under, the, the world to come is not put under angels, but it's put under those who inherit that as a part of their great salvation. So you tie all of that together and it seems to be So what he's talking about is that we as we think about our salvation have to understand that being people who follow this one who is the son understand that in some way we become heirs of the world to come and in that world to come we have some rulership or authority And that's a part of this great salvation that we hold on to. Why is that at all important? Well, for him, it makes a lot of importance. And in terms of eternity, it's amazing, this concept that this life doesn't end at all. I was watching Castle during the week. Anyone watch Castle? Great show. Anyway, this um, person died and their body disappeared when they got there and eventually they ended up only getting the body, not the head the head was frozen cryogenically because sometime in the future the wife who had actually killed the husband wanted to have her husband live with her forever and so because he had a brain tumor this is a great story and it's so realistic she shot him before his brain tumor got out of control so that when medical science caught up he could she could live with him and then at the end she killed herself and she was cryogenically frozen and there's this whole sort of mushy stuff that finally these people will have an eternity together and i thought how limited is that you're going to have a a husband without a body but yeah you're going to be together forever not medical science might give you an extra 50 years might give you 60 might even give you an extra 100 years but that's it babe no more than that and what sort of world is that you're going to live in is that any different from the world that we live in now just because medical science lets you get rid of the brain tumor and live for a long time? Is that going to happen? If that's all we have to look forward to, is that fantastic? Is that a great salvation? And what the author of the Hebrews says is, you guys will going to understand the fullness of the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ. It's not just that you get to live here with jesus as your guide it's not that you just get to live here when he helps you through your problems but the salvation that you receive in christ jesus is for all eternity we've gotten away somehow as christians and understanding this all eternity business this whole concept of heaven and hell and the difference between the two because for some strange reason that's seen as intolerant or it's seen as harsh or it's seen as difficult concept to put towards people it's much easier to bring them to christ with the story of his love but the writer to hebrews is trying to point out to us that we never understand the love of god the love of christ until we understand that he has brought us from hell to heaven we don't just get saved from our sins either way it's the Hebrew saying our salvation isn't just that we get in by the skin of our teeth and we rock up and we say I get to live forever but where we get to live forever we become heirs of it and rulers in it whatever that means the whole concept and its minimalistic part is that we have a fantastic future It's more than we could ever hope for and it's for all eternity. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. So verse 5 is that. Understand it's not to angels that he has given the world, but it's a part of your great salvation. And then he jumps into verses 6, 7 and 8. At the beginning, three weeks ago, when we did the introduction to Hebrews, I suggested that the writer to the Hebrews often is seen as using Scripture in a way that we're not allowed to. And for somehow, that's okay for him to do that. Now, what I'm going to do is very brief, but it is a little bit kind of wanting you to be a bit logical, so I'm going to draw it for you, all right, just in case it runs out. So I'm going to do teacher mode for a moment. and help myself all right everyone see that sort of all right verses six seven and eight the start of verse six says but there is a place where someone has testified well we talked about that's just the fact that the author of all of this is god it's not that he had no idea what he was talking about it's just that he wanted to say this is what god has said in the past and there are a couple of things here. You know i want to write them up and we'll see who do they apply to the first is what is man that you're mindful of him, all right The second is um what is the son of man that you care for him? then you made him a little lower than the angels. and then you crowned him with glory and honor and lastly you put everything under his feet does that make sense? They're the things that are said here. Well, the writer of the Hebrews is quoting from Psalm verse eight, from Psalm chapter eight. So we're gonna have Psalm chapter eight up on the board and I'll read it out to you. And then we'll ask for a little bit of exegesis from you guys. Alright? Straightforward, simple exegesis. This is David writing a psalm. He's saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Who's this talking about so far? Who's this talking about so far? God. God has ordained praise that people will praise him. Jesus uses this when the Pharisees and Sadducees get a bit cranky with the children praising Jesus. Jesus quotes this. He says, haven't you heard? Even the children are going to praise God. And the Pharisees, no wonder they get a little bit uptight with Jesus. All right? So this first part is talking about God. Then it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who's that being talked about in Psalm 8? Think about it. You're great, God, and I look at everything you've made. What is man that you're mindful of him? Who's this talking about? Us, right? So we'll make this Psalm 8. Oh, I'll just write humans, if you like. Humankind, us. That's what it's talking about. As, as, as the psalmist has a look at the world and says, how this is absolutely fantastic. I'm an insignificant little speck. Whew. Why do you care about me? And then he says, when is the Son of Man that you care for him thinking about it what's the psalmist saying? he's saying exactly the same thing he's a Hebrew guy he's living this parallel he's saying what's man who are we that you care about us? and so when he says this next bit in the psalm he's also talking about humans or mankind it's the same that's what's happening in psalm 8 he's talking about people he then says you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. Who are these? both of these being talked about in this psalm? He hasn't changed his topic, has he? He's still talking about humans. He's still talking about mankind. Is mankind gender neutral enough? I know you've got to be. It's everybody. People. This is what he's talking about you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you made him ruler over the works of your hands you put everything under his feet all flocks and herds and beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea all that swim the paths of the sea it's it's a psalm of creation and saying in the place of creation although we seem so insignificant you have made us ruler of all of your creation if you like that's what he's saying in psalm 8 so even this is mankind. Now, almost every Old Testament scholar, except those who have got too hung up in the book of Hebrews, will say that's what it means. That's cool. But then you get to the book of Hebrews and how it uses Psalm 8 and you start to read these verses and this, you see these are the general ways that the commentaries read it what is man that you are mindful of him well it's got to be insignificant so that's got to be us mankind the son of man that you care for him well that's got to be Jesus right son of man nodding down here Yeah. answer to every question in the scriptures is Sunday school answer. You made him a little lower than the angels. Jesus again. Incarnation. This has got to be the incarnation. That's Jesus. You crowned him with glory and honour. Got to be Jesus, right? You put everything under his feet. You read almost any commentary and that's what they say. I spent a lot of time reading Psalm too, and the biggest problem is why was the writer to the Hebrews such a bad exegete of the Old Testament? Why did he not have a clue what the psalmist was meaning in the psalm? Does that make sense to you why I'm confused? This guy wrote part of the Bible. You'd think he had an idea what was going on. But then I thought, well, what if he hasn't quite got it right? What if, in fact, it's my presupposition that's wrong? What if, in fact, I'm coming in halfway through a conversation and I'm assuming that this guy, because he's writing in the New Testament, has Jesus as the answer for all his questions and he's actually a bad exegete of Scripture? What if instead I actually think he's got his head screwed on in terms of what the Old Testament is saying? i'm going to see does that make any difference well if that's the thing then the second option i have over here that what is man that you're mindful of in the book of hebrews says well that's us the writer of hebrews is saying what is mankind that you're mindful of him this if we look at the fact that we are going to rule all of creation this is our salvation how does that make sense here then the son of man that you care for him well if it's in tune with psalm 8 it says that's us god cares for us you made him a little lower than the angels yes that's what we are that's our place in the created order for a little while you crowned him with glory and honor this has always been God's intention for his people. The life we live at the moment in the turmoil and the struggle where we are not lords of creation, when we aren't crowned with glory and honour, has not been, nor is it ever supposed to be God's intention for us. His intention is that we are crowned with glory and honour. And everything in this world, is to be subject to us and particularly as it refers to the world to come and one of the things that you read through the book of hebrews is that the writer to the hebrews actually understands his old testament far better than we give him credit for or her i have to admit i think what jesus is saying is we come to this passage in Hebrews 2 is this. It's not the angels he was subject to the world to come. It's us. Someone has once said in the Old Testament this about us, about the people of God. What are you that God is mindful of you? Think about that. If you're looking about why you shouldn't drift away Who are you that God cares about you this much? You're tempted to turn your eyes away from him. Look at what he's given you. Look at what he's made you to be. The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels or for a little while lower than the angels. In in the whole scheme of things, look at how majestic you are. You're not nothing in the universe. And it's not that you've been made lower the angels forever. It's actually, it's got a a temporal sense there. It's the amount of time. It's saying, God puts you in a place and for a while you're in that position but everything is going to be put under your feet. God has crowned you with glory and honour. And this is what he says about this is the salvation to which we come for. But then we have a problem and that comes up in the next thing. Well, just jump ahead. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. And then he says in verse 7, well at the end of verse 8, yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. Now, if this was the, the meaning here, Yet yet we don't see everything subject to him. People play around with that for a little while to say, well, one day in the final kingdom, not now. But if you remember what happened in the book of Acts, he was enthroned in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God and the writer of the Hebrews is going to come and tell us that he has finished his work. He told us that at the end of chapter one. So when it says that we don't see everything subject to him, it's still talking about us. Now, isn't that the situation we find ourselves in? If we hold to the fact that God made us special, he put us as the crown, if you like, of his creation. That everything is to be in order and subjected to it. Why don't we find that to be true? Because it's not true. We have disease. We have death. We get attacked by wild animals. They're supposed to be subject to us. All right, fishes of the sea supposed to be subject to us uh-uh. i'll tell you this story i was once out swimming in the ocean and i was a little bit further out than everybody else this is when i was young all right and everyone started yelling but i'm a little bit deaf so i didn't hear them and everybody left the water except for me and i'm swimming along there and what happens i finally realized there's this fin coming towards was i subject then did I turn around and say, cut it out. Humankind, subject to us, swim that way. No. I screamed and paddled and furiously got to within about five meters of the shore. And then everyone walked back out. It was a dolphin. <laughs> right. I didn't go in the water for about 10 years not subject to humankind and the whole of the world is like that now we don't see it why is that well we've talked about that this evening there's death come into the world we rebelled against god we didn't want him as our overruler. we wanted to be lords in our own right not as something that he gave to us and we rebelled against him and nothing is subject to us we suffer death destruction pain we can't live forever and yet that was part of God's great future for us so the writer to Hebrews then says we don't see everything subject to him us mankind but this we do see and this is his focus here he's saying you want to know your great salvation this is it this we do see Jesus now, this is the first time in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is mentioned. He focuses us right in, focuses in on the humanity of Christ. And he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And what about him? He is now crowned with glory and honor. Why? We're going to him great deal, but he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And next week we'll talk about the rest of that in terms of what that all means. But what is it saying here? It's saying we are supposed to rule. That's a part of our salvation, but we forfeited that right. Nothing is subjected to us. In fact, we're subject to it. There's weeds in the garden. If you don't believe it, come see mine. We work by the sweat of our brow. We struggle. Pain in childbirth. Nodding down the back there. All of that's true because we have fallen. And what have we remembered tonight in baptism? If that's where it was, there would be no hope because all we have to look forward to is death. But we don't see that. We see Jesus. We see Jesus who was and with is a human who came and suffered and died. We see him crowned in glory and honour and everything is put under his feet. Why? So that we can participate with him in that great salvation. And the writer of Hebrews gives that as an indication us: why not to look away because that's the salvation that we have to rule with him for all eternity heirs with him now i don't know what that means because if only christians go to heaven and there's a new heaven and a new earth i don't know who we're ruling over does that make sense because we're like all there is but like that's going to be fun right i don't know what that all means but it means it's going to be good whatever it is and that's the fantastic salvation that we have So if you're tempted during the week to turn away think jesus didn't just die to save you to help you through your problems so if you don't have any problems you can ignore him he didn't just save you to give you guidance but if you've read the bible once hey it's cool i got guidance i know what to do and i have the internet anyways jesus just didn't save you so that you could have a nice beautiful group of people to come and mix with no he says you fix your eyes on jesus Why? because he suffered and died and is now crowned with glory in heaven and you will be with him for all eternity and that's absolutely fantastic so don't take your eyes off him at all we've had a baptism tonight with the opportunity to see these people being open about they have made a decision to go from that living for themselves with nothing subject under them but suffering the subjection of sin in the world and death to a life now where they actually have an opportunity to look forward for all eternity to be with Christ two applications number one if you haven't made that decision not the baptism decision but if you haven't made the decision to make Christ your Lord to say everything is now under him I want to follow him because I know if I follow him I have life forever if I don't follow him, I have death forever. If you haven't made that decision, do it tonight. Because they're the only two options. So if you haven't made that decision, or if you're wavering, or if you've taken your eyes off Jesus, get them back on, because that's the great salvation that we share. Life eternal life for all time with God. And not just a mediocre quality of life, but an exuberant, wonderful, majestic, glorified quality of life. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. So don't ignore it. Secondly, for those of us who have done that, I became a Christian 30 plus years ago. Don't lose the focus. This is a carry-on from last week. Don't lose the focus. Not just because you can suffer shipwreck, which is one good, very good motivation to keep focused on Jesus. Nobody wants to crash and burn, right? But keep focused on him when you remember how fantastic it is. That should be the second motivation not to drift. You've got Jesus. He's better than the rest. He's better than anything you can get out of this life. Better than having a fantastic family. It's better than having a beautiful relationship with someone. It's better than having a beautiful job where you can travel. Better than having the opportunity to go and see all the parts of the world. Everything there is fleeting and none of it lasts. And you're only doing it as a traveler in a world where you really are just a microbe. Keep your eyes fixed on him and you have an eternity to rule with him in in a place which is far beyond anything you can imagine. And so keep your eyes focused on him. And this is the counterbalance to the warning last week. This is the encouragement. Keep your eyes on him. We're going to pray now and sing. What I'd like to encourage you to do is to focus on those two things. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't come to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a few moments and I want you to think about it seriously. And if you decide tonight that you want to say, yes, okay, I want that, then at the end of the service, come up the front here and ask to pray with somebody. Someone just drop up in the front few pews here, or the leave, right? Just sit up the front here, and someone will come and sit with you and talk with you about the gospel. Because it's important that you don't leave tonight still living head of the dead. Secondly, if you've taken your eyes off him for any reason, Get them back on. He forgives your inattention. He forgives your sin and he'll allow you to come back to him and to live and to work there because he saved you. He died a death for you. He's been glorified on your behalf. If you're in that place where you've been in rebellion, whether it's because of inattention, because of dryness, because you're angry with someone else in the church, whatever it is, then get right with that. And again, come up the front and have someone pray with you or talk to someone that you know really well. All right? And if you're not that and you're staying focused all the time, keep it up. Keep addicted to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had tonight to witness the public declaration of people's faith in you. We thank you so much that that faith brought on by your work in their life is an amazing thing. Because of what you've done, they go from death to life. And it's not just any old life. It's not just like this life but forever. But it's a quality of life in a place that's amazing where we rule with you amazing reward amazing blessing this is what you've made us to be as your people Father I pray that if there's anyone here who has not yet made that decision to go from death to life that you will convict their heart tonight that you will help them to make that step to say yes I want Jesus to be my king because I want to be with him Father, I pray for those people who maybe have taken their eyes off Christ for one reason or another. And I pray that not only will the fear of the judgment of God motivate them to come back to have their eyes fixed on you, but that the encouragement that with our eyes fixed on Jesus that we share with him for all eternity the wonders that he's given to us that you might encourage people to repent their inattention and to bring their eyes back to Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone else who has been seeking to be faithful. You'll continue to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith that they might have their eyes also focused on Christ. And Father, I pray that you'll encourage us to continue to talk about these things with each other as we go through the rest of this evening and through the week. We ask all these things in the name of Christ our Saviour. Amen.